the whole point of this episode is right. We're going into 2021. I'd noticed that 2020 was just being framed as this dumpster fire that the new year was going to solve. <laughs> and as we talked in the last episode, people has had and have this sort of escape fantasy about what 21 or excuse me, 2021 could be. And what I wanted to do was not like this year in review, 2020, something like that. I wanted to get smart, optimistic, philosophical people who know how to navigate a dumpster fire <laughs> and give you real world tips to do so. Right. You know, something a little more helpful, a guidebook, a spiritual guide, as it were. So I thought of three people from unique circumstances who I thought could uh, could help guide us through this. We got Dr. Neil, we got Roger Harvey, and we have Dr. Judith Kaufman, my aunt, <laughs> who uh, who should school us. We haven't gotten to that one yet. But <laughs> I thought it would be a fun mix-up, right, to just not have 90 minutes about you talking about guitar tone with somebody. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And let's... Let's try and you to talk in sports. And me talking sports, oh. some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, like like what are the things that uh that you learned from this year because I know I did. I had some some crazy moments this year where everything got stripped back, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything you think is important, it's not important all of a sudden and then the things that you knew were important the whole time, you all of a sudden value more. And I think a lot of people, once you start looking back on this year, are going to find a lot of advances in their life, in their own philosophies and how they adapt to the world, how they see their family, their jobs. You know, it's so much to unpack that I thought it would be good to start it on a positive note. Absolutely. And and bring in some optimists and bring in some some spirit guides, as it were. I've always found this with myself. A lot of people look to some places that I haven't been able to look, you know, like I'm not going to turn on the TV and feel something with like Oprah Winfrey or feel something with a politician or even feel something with an athlete, you know, like as much as I love sports, that is not a place where I go for my spiritual guidance. Right. And I've, I honestly, I find people who have had a wealth of experience that I know and that I respect who came out on the other side. Those are the people I really listen to. You know what I mean? Cause mm. it's the people who, you know, they say like ignorance is bliss. Like some people just had a certain type of life where they may not be able to understand, um, or at least give it to somebody else as far as guidance is concerned. And, let, let's take this, for example. I always respected somebody who was straight edge after really being into drinking and drugs <laughs> more than someone who just decided to be straight edge. Right, right. Because right. I was like, you're making a decision right now. Yeah, you're making a big change. The change that can be scary sometimes. Yeah, and you're making a change. Exactly. You have that wherewithal to change your focus and change the fork in the road. And in the same way, I know... It shouldn't be viewed as like that. And and I don't want to belittle stories that haven't had struggle. 
But people who have had struggle and been through a lot of things and seen a lot of things and still come out this positive and still come out trying to find the silver lining and trying to find optimism, those are people I not only want to be around, I want to know what they're doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to know how you're framing your thinking, how you're framing your day, because some of it is not even just philosophical. Some of it is, you know, when we just did the episode with Jeff Rosenstock and Chris a couple months ago, how both of them wake up in the morning and don't look at their phone for the first couple hours. Yeah. You know, even some some small actual physical tool you can use these days, take an hour in the morning, don't look at your phone, you know, look at the world, talk to your people, breathe, think, you know, all these different ways that people can uh, can get through the day. And that's what I wanted to do with this episode. Next week, we'll get back to someone talking about songwriting or guitar tones or um, pushing knobs <laughs> and, you know, all the things that you're here for. Exploding tour buses. <laughs> what do you use? You wake up in the morning and you're feeling a little dreadful mm. about what's happening. What's something that you do? I am caffeine addict, although mm-hmm. just in the morning, I really enjoy a nice, strong cup of coffee mm-hmm. and breathing. I usually do some simple like breathing exercises. Just it's very calming and, and puts you back in control and perspective. Yeah. But yeah, the morning ritual is mainly coffee and I usually try to go out. I have a balcony with a really great view. So you should try to, I go out there in the morning and just kind of like greet the world sort of mentally. And let me ask you this question. Say you're midday, things are piling on, you know, Mm -hmm. it's bad. Things are bad. Mm -hmm. You know, the neighborhood's packed. Something happened at school. Some kid needs help. You You know, your chain on your bike broke. (laughs) You know, like whatever, like some collection of shit. What's something in your infinite age and wisdom? (laughs) uh, (laughs) What's something Uh, that you like literally tell yourself? uh, Like, is there anything you can tell yourself like that is not as important that you need to calm down? Like, is there is there anything you got in the in the toolbox for that? These days. When I start to lose it, unfortunately, it's generally all around one particular nine-year-old who I love dearly, (laughs) but who is just literally like he is Dennis the Menace. He is a cartoon character of a nine-year-old boy. I mean, he'll take as much as he can and you can't turn your back on him. But at the same time, he's the most loving kid and so yeah when he's unbearable i have to just remind myself that he's he's not a fully functional grown human and <laughs> right, i mean right. to make sure that that path completes itself with the least amount of damage and yeah and that in sure. fact like what he's doing at the end of the day that's so irritating is really like it's what he is you know he's yeah. like this other creature that is Totally different than anybody else in this household, but not totally different than probably what I was like at that age. So I just have to, and I've tried to do this with other people too, is just embrace the fact that this is 
what everybody is and without yeah. diversity, without everybody being different, it would suck. <laughs> well, that's a good simple one you get from kids, right? It's yeah. just this this you you no longer can can even begin to start putting people in a box anymore. Right. Or having that expectation for what you want someone to be. Or at least in the very least, you understand that how the fuck is anyone else supposed to even know <laughs> what the fuck you want them to be and why should they do it? Right. You know, like even just some of those simple contexts, like, and maybe I think that's something that drives people mad. You know, my father uh, just always stresses the fact that that anger almost all of the time is, you know, due to a, a lack of control. Yeah. And, you know, so many people bash their heads against the wall through their whole life, essentially trying to sort of micromanage other people and, you know, the small ways that they treat you or the small ways that they see the world. Yeah. Letting that go is, uh, that's probably a good one. <laughs> so who do we have? Who do we have first on this adventure we're about to embark on? So first we got Dr. Neil, Dr. Neil Kichi. Old friend, sage wisdom, tended bar at the famous Maxwell's for like a decade. That's actually where I got to know him because uh, Alex from, from Gaslight Anthem had moved into an apartment almost across the street from Maxwell's, which turned Maxwell's into I go to shows here every once in a while to we drink here now. <laughs> um, and Neil was a bartender there. And I remember even Alex saying like, Yo, you got to hang with this guy, Neil, like at the bar, like you guys would hit it off, All right. you know? Um, and sure enough, you know, I went there to drink. He, he created a shot there called the pickleback where you drink a shot of whiskey and take a shot of pickle juice right Wait, after. Did he actually invent that? He dev. I mean, he was the first one I saw do it. I, I'm sure it was a thing before that, but okay. He invented it in my okay. uh, in my narrative. <laughs> okay. um, we'll let him have it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Maxwell's had great food and we go there and chill. And, you know, that's how I got to know him really well. And, uh, you know, he's been on a path all these years of, you know, building a family and educating himself. And just more and more as the years go on, he's, uh, he's become a true... Uh, a true keeper of sage wisdom and the fact that like, like, trust me, if you saw this guy with his girls, you're like, all right, dad goals, you know, <laughs> like he's just got it on lock. Wow. You see him like riding around. He lives down by the beach and, you know, he'll be riding a bike with all three girls and a bucket in the back. Oh, you know, like, super dad. Super fucking dad, you know? Oh, like, okay. Yeah. So one of those true mentor, you know, like if I was going to, call somebody be like hey my kid is doing this and this like he'd be one of my first you know okay neil very accomplished also big Rutgers basketball fan we used to go to games together not to talk about too much sports but <laughs> this is the first time in like a hundred years that Rutgers basketball is ranked nationally and the first time we can't go to any games to root for him mm. poor us <laughs> it's going on Dr. Neil. Hi, Betty. How are you? What's up, buddy? Not I much, man. I can't believe I'm talking to you in this context. Uh, this is uh, yeah. strange, but we've <laughs> wanted to do this for a while, haven't we? 
something have, like that. I feel like many of our phone conversations uh, are are could be their own uh, podcasts. Exactly. <laughs> many of our podcasts are just our therapy is therapy for Benny. So just so well, you know. This is a hot topic, Neil. Let's just dig right into it. Okay? So I I texted Brad this weekend with a couple emotional texts. You okay. know what I mean? A little over the top. Right. And he gave me nothing back. No answer. <laughs> Cold cocked me. A, th- a thumbs up. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. And I had to like, beginning of this week, I'm like, listen... We just did this Jimmy Eat World interview. And if there's anything we learned, this is all about communication, you know? Right. And I'm like, listen, we're in an artistic partnership together. I'm going to get a little emo every once in a while. I need to get these things out. And you got to answer me. And I know he's doing that like white Irish guy IPA thing where he thinks I went like a little too far and you just have to draw this line in the sand with the guy. You're like, listen, I just produced the podcast. I can't go this deep. You know, I know it's exactly what happened. I see it play out and I reject it. And I reject it because 2021 is not about that, Brad and Neil. Betty, can you can you just I mean, without divulging too much, can you just give me like a snippet of like some key words that were in uh, the text that you sent uh, Brad that in my emotional it? text? <laughs> yeah. oh, I can read it to you. No, 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 about what I'm doing and its quality and its place in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of <laughs> older white guys from rock and roll doing podcasts, talking to other old white guys from rock and roll, you know? Right. And I uh, got to you know, find I, my I, place in this thing that feels good because on a week to week basis, I, I need to feel good about what I'm doing or else I don't want to do it. You know, that's the way I operate. Well, I'm, I'm looking, speaking of uh, old white guys, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing with you my New Year's Eve story. Cause I like, <laughs> when I was reading, when you sent me the email and I was like, you know, like I'm not like a huge, huge, like, you know, I have my drinks and stuff, but I, I, I don't go into uh, one new year the same way leaving an old. So I, I don't think I've ever uh-huh. been su- super, super hammered or crazy. But then I, I, I thought of one and I was like, Oh yeah, I think this. I, 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 I'm so we'll say that to you, or whatever. Let's jump in. Let's hear it, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, jump in. This is part <laughs> of it. We're, okay. we're looking we're, so for a little for a little uh, pre context here. I did ask everybody who's coming on today for their wackiest or funniest New Year's Eve story of all time, going off what Brad and I did in the last episode. So that that's the context. And Neil said he had a doozy for us, apparently well, uh, dealing I mean, with a, an annoying white I, guy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or multiple annoying white guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, but so just some uh, context and backstory. So I, I worked at, a, um, at Maxwell's in Hoboken for 10 years of my life from 2004 to like when it closed oh, right. um, and, it, and its original incarnation. That's, I met my wife there. Uh, it was like that. And I'm still very good friends with the old owner. So it's like very cool. when, the, when the memoir of my life never gets written, that, that chapter will like 
take a huge like chunk of the book because sure. so many things came out of that. Um, so, you know, and I was like, uh, you know, I, I bartend bar back, work the door, you know, all I was, I, I guess I'm Indian. So instead of the Jack of all trades, I guess I was a Patel of all trades for, for lack of, uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, so it was, and this isn't necessarily, it's not a, and one caveat, it's not a, a new year's Eve story. It's a December 30th story. Ah, it's yeah, the closest close. thing I got since I'm not that much of a, uh, you know, crazy, like, you know, bashing things on, I guess if that's what people do on new year. Listen, right? if Hoboken, Hoboken <laughs> New Year's Eve starts like December 22nd. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, um, I think it was either 2010 or 2011 and guided by voices was playing a, uh, sold out okay. show. Cool. At Maxwell's, I think the following night they were at Irving Plaza, and on their rider, um, <laughs> they had they had requested a, a a bucket on stage to piss in. Um, piss uh, bucket, okay. A piss, a piss bucket. <laughs> I see they've played Maxwell's before. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if you know if you're if you're unfamiliar with the with the layout of Maxwell's, like. Yeah. The men's bathroom is right by the front door. It's like one stall, one urinal. And yeah. if you're, if you're a performer, you got to wade through like 200, 250 people. Sure. Do. You know, and fans like touching you. Not, you know, th- not me, but I've seen it to like artists, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, ah, you know, so they asked for a piss bucket and then they, they played a great show. It was awesome. And then at the end of the night, the owner, uh, Todd comes up to me and he looks at me and he and I are very close. We have a very good relationship. He just looks mm-hmm. at me and he's like, Neil, there's a piss bucket on stage. <laughs> and I'm like, and I, and I like, we all knew like everybody that worked, everybody yeah. knew that those dudes and like, they had a huge rider and they were drinking a lot and everyone knew like, Oh my God, guided by boys is like are pissing in a bucket <laughs> during their performance. Because they don't want to g- walk through the crowd and like use, you know, the normal people bathroom, right? <laughs> Wait, ju- all right. Just for myself here, for context, like, are they in the front of the stage, bareballing it to the crowd? Did they stick it in like no, the back it, corner? It was, it, was, it, it was off to the side, but you can okay, like periodically okay. what you look like they, they would have their backs turned and like, <laughs> right. they're peeing. <laughs> okay. And so... So like it's the end of the night and I'm like cleaning up stuff and 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 the the owner comes up to me and he's like it's like there's a piss bucket on stage I'm like I'm just looking at him and I know where this is going but I'm just like <laughs> he's like and I'm like yeah he's like it's got to get off stage and I'm like mm-hmm. all right and then and he looks at me and he's like either you do it or Rafi does it and I, and now keep in mind Rafi was like one of the old school kitchen dudes. He's like 15 years older than me. And I had like super, super respect for him and no okay. way just out of sheer principle. Am I going to like go like make Raffy do it? You know, like <laughs> right. no way. Sure. Right. Sure. sure. So I just look and I'm like, I'm like, all right. Like, and so, for, so whoever's listening or maybe you I, like, this is my first experience dealing with a piss bucket. So I'm like walking back there and I'm like, like, where do I grab it from? Like, yeah. like that, like, I, like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like in most situations, like, you know, but this, I, I was like, yeah, so I'm so staring. A, and then a that, true first, a true first. Right. No contact. And, that, and, and now like other people I work with, they're like, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, <It's> like, <laughs> and, and not only that, it's like, it's cold outside and snowing and I have to like, like get off, get it off the stage. So I, I like, I pick it up by like the handle. <laughs> oh, and it's dangerous like, and it, right off. And dangerous it, right off. And it's like, and it's, it's like what, four or five, like, old white guys pee that I'm 
And, and, and so I like, you know, like when you carry something really heavy in you, your legs, you kind of like waddle a little bit because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? and so I like, I, I, I waddle, like I have someone hold the door open for me because the less like break in the yeah. movement, uh, like, <laughs> produce less like, you know, and then, and then we, we, we get out there and there's like five of us on the sidewalk. Like, oh my God. And now I'm like, I can't dump it on the sidewalk. Yeah, like kids, kids. That's a high traffic area around Maxwell's. So I was just thinking there's no alleys there. Yeah. And like, you know, and, and like, I like to think again, I have some principles. I'm like, I'm not going to dump it where some like grandma or some like mom pushing a stroller is going to roll. Sure. Like through like yellow snow, you know. <laughs> what is but this? It would, guided it, it, by it, voices, <laughs> piss. <laughs> it smells as good as their music. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know what? That came out wrong. That came out. That's okay. That's okay. I like their music. I like that came out wrong. That came out wrong. But uh, so I, you know, I like by that time, like we, I don't remember how, but I lifted up again, and I just kind of like kept like on a count of three, like swung it and then launched it into the street. Wow! And what you let go of the bucket? I let go of the bucket and then jump back to avoid any type of like, okay, like, uh, okay. And and it and it dropped on Eleventh Street. It freaking you know like all came. I had to go over and I kicked it over a couple of times to make sure there wasn't anything left to, like in it. And then I picked up this empty empty bucket at like thirty one, thirty two years of age, going like, "What am I doing with my life? <laughs> this is it. This is the culmination." Yeah. And when and that is like when anyone asks me like a New Year's story, I'm like, I, last night I thought of it. I'm like, well, it's a December thirtieth story, and that's yeah, like yeah. the close it's gonna get. It's gonna get. <laughs> was that was that actually the night? Like, did you have like an aha moment holding the piss bucket where you were like? All right, back to school. Doctor Neil is coming in the future. Like I can't, I can't take it. It was all. It was the like I'm getting too old for this shit moment. Yeah, So, but it was you know it was it was it was cool. And now like look, you know t- what is it like ten years later? I'm, I'm telling you the story. <laughs> I mean. This is to to bring it. So so now you are an an esteemed professor. Uh, thank you. I, I think you're too kind, and you're hyping <laughs> me up a little bit. But and we'll, uh, we'll keep you. it. We'll keep it low. So next semester, someone doesn't come in and go like, "Huh, piss bucket, huh?" Yeah. Right, 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 right. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but you're very highly rated on uh, college websites, which I didn't know existed. Now, Brad, do you know that there are websites where like like rate my professor.com i did not know that i knew you could do schools but not i didn't know you could actually dig into the actual so i'm like oh my god like i i'm looking into neil here but luckily for him he's a very highly rated professor (laughs) i always say that they just don't know any better but it's it's you know it's it's nice to at least they're not trashing me not yet anyway that's good (laughs) (laughs) i mean all right so let's get into this a little bit so 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 I, I, you know, right off the bat, you deal with like addressing large groups of people, making these people, not making them, but presenting information and doing it in a live context. You mm-hmm. once told me about the power of a live show. Right. And I think I was the same. I probably gave you the same kind of text I gave to Brad being insecure <laughs> about my musical life, rather than my <laughs> podcast life. And you were telling me, that you know the power of a live show and a group of people that can 
be positively directed can alter the world in an actual tangible way. Right now, I remember that. I remember that. I think that's the beginning of almost famous. You're quoting. Listen, I bought it. Doesn't matter. I bought it. William Miller or not, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. But but now it's gone. Um, And I wonder, you know, especially now for someone like you too, who who deals in that context, like where does that void fill from from concerts, from group prayer and meditation, group education, like? Do you think that that part of the world is just voided right now? And, and where where are people bringing that back from? So, you know, we and and, and to to uh, to your question, like this relates all under the guise of our, you know, uh, current. Yeah. So cultural, social, national, global climate as it, right. as it has been for the last 10 years, uh, 10 months. Right. Um, yeah. You know, like so as a as an educator, you know, I have. Uh, this great opportunity to to work with with college students and and um, and so we you know when when things happened in March like everything shifted online but what what uh, hap- what I'm in an interesting position because I'm a, I'm a father of of three girls right yeah uh, eight six and four um, and so what I noticed for me personally was like you know my education um, my my courses and my my classes went on you know, just in a different format. And I still brought the same type of um, uh, educational instruction and, and enrichment experience to the, the class. But what I noticed, though, is like a lot of my energy and focus to your question, like I, I turned it on my kids in a, in a very mm. pos- positive way. Because right, like, right. because at the end of the day, like, and I, I, I need to preface this, like outside of, you know, putting aside as, as if we can, at all, like the mounting death toll and the complete destruction of our economy, the arts and like mom and pop shops. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, like I personally used this as an opportunity to, uh, uh, channel what I have done in the classroom for almost 18 years now Mm. and put it and put it to my kids. Right. And it's like, uh, the one reference, do you remember that movie? Um, uh, life is beautiful. Yeah. With uh-huh. the, now, obviously, in no way, shape, or form, am I comparing the events of the Holocaust and a and the global pandemic is like on the same level. But if you remember the father Guido, like uh, what do you say, Buongiorno, Principessa, like that, you know, But like his uh, his uh, his whole thing, like you know, he uh, the the Nazis came and, and took him and his kid, and he like created this environment for his kid. Yeah. Where like where it was this game, right, right, and and so I remember like it was like March, and you know to to be fair, like I'm an eternal optimist by nature. It's true, and so you know, and my my wife considers her more of a realist, but she always says that I can find good in a in a in a piece of shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time, I have like I'm I'm not an idiot like a piece of shit it's a piece of shit but if there's yeah. good in it i'll try to find it but you know um so uh the, our focus became like on the you know every parent you know and like again whoever's listening to this like this is a perspective of a 42 year old father of three right so if like 
if there's some 22 year kid out there like this, is, like, this, yeah. what's this guy talking about? Lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast forward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but the one thing, like, I remember, like, in the middle of March, I was, and I was talking to my wife, Megan, and I'm like, I'm like, yo, this is going to be going on for a little bit. And she's a super social butterfly. And I think it yeah. took her, it took her some time to like acknowledge that. And for me, I'm like, listen, like, like whatever we create from this point on, going forward is what our children will respond and reflect and react right. to court, react right, according. Right. Sure. And so, you know, we sat him down. We, we talked to him like adults. We explained to him about like, Hey, let's listen. Like you can't go to school because we're going to be, we're trying to protect the grandparents and we're trying to make sure the hospital and we like hospitals don't overflow. And we put it in, we broke it down in ways where they could, an eight, the best way an eight-year-old and six-year-old could understand. Sure. And so, again, go back to your question, like, how do I fill that void? So, like, I took it as an opportunity where I'm like, never again will I have this moment to teach my kids, mm. right? So, I, not only was I, like, college instructor via online during the day, but I also would pause and then become elementary school teacher to my kids. Right, 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 right. And and I would like and I would get up early and I would like make them these like big breakfasts, right? And like these smoothies and like and I and the goal is to make it this like quarantine super fun. So when they rolled out of it, they were like, yo, that wasn't that bad. Like can you uh, one, right. one one thing I did was I would uh pick a different 80s song during the week and blast <laughs> it to to wake them up. <laughs> okay. So like imagine like different being, tune a week. Yeah, so like, like one w- one week it was strict. It was Saint Elmo's Fire. Oh, thank goodness! So, so imagine like being like an eight or six year old or four year old, and around seven seven fifteen, all of a sudden hearing, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, everybody up, you know? <laughs> Listen, kids have no respect for the saxophone and rock and roll anymore. You know? I appreciate. <laughs> So, so the long, uh, the short answer or long answer to your question was like the energy that I put into classroom in front of my college students. I, when, when, when March hit and quarantine hit and the stay at home order hit, I was like, all right, like, let's take like now all this, now get, get, like I do it either way, but, uh, like when they're uh, home from school, but now I'm like, all right, we're together. And now all that energy gets transferred on them. And I'm in a, I'm in a good place, like a, I feel like I'm in a fortunate situation where I love my wife and kids, but I really love hanging out with them. Mm. And so it was easy for us. Right. In that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, that totally answers how you filled the void. So, so when I, when I would play a concert, right. And you would say there was this connection of, you know, spirits and emotions and like, some sort of philosophical move towards the same goal that connected us in a, in a strange way. So that's like a tangible thing that goes out into the world via a concert or via group prayers or, you know, meditations, things like that. Right. Where did that go in the world? And, and what, what actually provides that connection? Is it just the uh, mental knowledge that you're connected with someone, which would mean zoom is doing a perfectly good job filling that void or is there something about being in the same place that actually fills that void in a different kind of way well so that's you know what's interesting about that is i i've always like not only you know as we discuss like these 
uh, be it concerts, be it uh, religious services, leave you with this like, it almost gives you like emotional, mental fuel, right? Right. Um, and to your question, like, where did it go? Like, I feel like it also, at least over the course in my own, you know, personal and unprofessional opinion, like, I felt like it was a moment uh, where every single individual, in essence, needed to reassess and not use maybe these large group gatherings, these concerts, these prayer services as a way to, um, uh, how can I put this, like, uh, fill a void, right? Right. Yeah, sure. And instead, it's like it really forced a lot of people to look inward, to reflect and like and and ask themselves what like what now when the things that I'm so used to mm-hmm. and that and I don't want to say it's a crutch because I don't I don't believe that people use, you know, these group gatherings as a crutch. But in a way, it helps us deflect and def- uh, uh, ignore some of the maybe more important and, and pressing issues in our lives. Right. Sure. And I felt like it was an opportunity for all of us as individuals, again, with the understanding that, you know, like I thankful every day that, you know, we, we had, uh, um, we didn't per- we personally didn't experience any loss. And, and for the most part, um, economically we were okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think like, um, I feel like it, it forced not having that as a go-to for a lot of people, I feel like force them to reevaluate individually their place in life, their goals, what they want to do, what they haven't done and, and where they're at. Right. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I can't because like I personally didn't miss going to shows because I was like more focused on nurturing and growing the mental and emotional health of of my kids right yeah sure so i think it, it was a moment and in time this these last few months where i think it's very it, it, the journey as opposed to sharing it with others was more of like an inward personal journey of everyone mm-hmm. like a reassessing and reevaluating their own position in life yeah totally maybe uh transcendental meditation had a big year yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, for yourself, you know, as you stated yourself, you can find the the hopefulness in anything. A pretty optimistic character, I can vouch and speak to that as well. So, what are some actual like uh, daily tools or philosophies or resources that that you could offer to someone in like the year ahead to 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 try to you know use you as a spirit animal? Ah, oh. <laughs> well, you know, I think it, what I, and this is what I noticed a lot uh, and like watching all those like crazy New Year's Eve uh, countdowns, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? like, the, uh, like what was it, the fitness, the planet fitness New Year's, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was strange. Yeah. Those were so bizarre, all of them. Yeah, and they were really bizarre. <laughs> but I, the, the, the one common theme uh, was like, everybody, if like, 99% of like the conversations and comments were about like setting 2020 on fire and like, and like get, giving it the finger and like, and, and, and rightfully so there was like so much shit that went down that like, sure. I, yeah. I, I, but like, I, I also have to believe that there are, there are moments that we can t- all take from this and say like, but there, ha- there was some, at least from an individual standpoint, like what was the good that came out of it for me? 
Yeah. Right. Again, as a disclaimer, understanding that lots of loss of life and businesses and and the economy just, you know, um, I, you know, there, I have groups of friends who work in the, uh, financial district who are like, you know what, I would leave the house at six, come back home at eight and not see my kids until the weekends. And all of a sudden they have a newfound connection and relationship with their, with their children, you know, uh, like, like, uh, people who are like, uh, man, I used to commute all the time. Now I'm working from home and it's like, and it's great. Like, just like the little things. So like, I feel like as, as much of a dumpster fire 2020 was, um, I think like to your question about tools and, and maybe not a grandiose philosophy, but more like, you know, there, there, I have to believe that at least for the individual, um, that there was some good that came out that we can use and and grow from. Okay. And, and and maybe seek inspiration from like, I, I've witnessed firsthand educators who on the fly just create like specifically public school teachers. I'm like my kids, uh, teachers in particular who on the fly, like, like kept doing what they're doing as a labor of love, you know? Right. And like, you saw the d- differentiation between anyone in any field who like was doing it because it's a labor of love versus doing it because like they just had to, or did, you know, or like, or they have nothing else to do, mm, you know? Sure. Um, and so I think that was like something, and I, I hope that like the, in the same way that we as like a species like responded and reacted creatively to a pandemic that maybe we carry over that same creativity into like our evolution as like humans and, and the next phase of humanity, you know? Totally. Yeah. And I, I noticed and, you know, I was trying to bring some hopefulness into this. So I was looking for the the best things that happened in education the last year, the list was thin but uh, i did i did find at least one like the university of california began to move an end to the use of the sat and act and its admission requirements oh yeah um that is like and think about like there's no like i don't want to say no way but i can't see them all of a sudden saying like all right now we're instituting it back (laughs) right 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 so so Um, yeah maybe it is like leveling things out a bit it's like so how much of that though to you is you know as as someone who decides to go inside themselves fairly often and i feel like it's one of the powers of prayer or meditation or anything it's just this sort of idea that you need to reflect with your own um sense of death and morbidness every single day basically um now like where does that move ahead do you think that um people have a different understanding about their own life their own death like a little bit more of a a nurturing for the minutes and the time that they maybe previously didn't have you know i I, one of the like outs in addition to like uh class-based discussions in my courses like one of the things i emphasize in our conversations and assignments is like the art of reflecting right right and i and i think as a as a society, as a culture, as an American culture, that's something that we don't do a mm. lot of. I think a lot of the times, again, personal, unprofessional opinion, like the foot is on the gas pedal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're in tunnel vision, blinders on, and it's full speed ahead. And very rarely do we stop to reflect not only on our thoughts, but our actions and um, the rep- repercussions of our, of our actions. Sure. Uh, and like, like there's this like Buddhist, uh, 
uh, this tenant in, in Buddhist uh, uh, philosophy called like dependent origination, mm-hmm. which, pr- which pretty much argues like the, the simple bare bones about it's like that everything like there, 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 there are reverberating effects of everything that we do and everything that we say. Right. So like if you drop a pebble in a lake, right? Like it's, you're going to see that pebble, you drop a pebble in the middle of the lake, like, like the little waves are going to splash and it's going to spread out all over to the various sides of the lake. And that's like, in essence, like our action, our word, like how it spreads and in, in, into ways that we know and don't know. And I feel mm-hmm. like in a, in a, in a individualistic capitalistic society that we live in, I feel like instead of looking at the pebble being dropped into a lake and its effects to everyone around you, we're more like the kid doing a cannonball off the diving board. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, 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 right. Where you just do the cannonball and it's like, yeah, yeah. I did a cannonball. Whoa, awesome. You know? <laughs> and so, 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 you know, I, I, it, it will be interesting going forward to see what the, like the last nine, 10 months has done to us as a, you know, speaking strictly as as uh, uh, an American culture, what is sure. done in terms of of us taking a pause and and reflecting on like our actions, what's mean, what's important to us, and and um, changes both you know positive changes we can make in our lives. Oh, it's crazy! I mean, you talk about that, and I, I mean, the cannonball uh, reference is perfect. <laughs> That's exactly what you do. Let's see how much water I can dump out of this thing, fucker! You know. It's totally the way we operate. But also like, and going back to what you said earlier about the, the live, the live music, like in essence, like, you know, as as live musicians and like whoever goes to an experience at a show, like that, that reverberation carries with like people for days, for weeks, for months, you know? Right. And it's like, so if like, if the musicians on stage are that rock or even maybe that kid doing the cannonball, but, but really the the actions and the energy and that flow spreads far and wide. And so both in ways seen and unseen. Yeah. I mean, I just wonder at this point is like, is the end of the ripple an unseen thing? Is it a philosophical thing? Because it seems to me that most people caught in the moment when the rock is thrown or the cannonball enters the pool, you know, they seem to double down and jump back in their own hole before the ripple even has a chance to get out to the side. And that's why I I wonder sometimes if the people actually inside of it are a lost cause and all of the efforts are for like the people who will feel the ripple further out, which is probably the next generation. Right. You know, I, I I thought about, it's it's, thought about something similar and it's so if I, I, I don't think I'll be getting too much, on a, a tangent, but I think like culturally speaking, I think what you see a lot of what you're describing is like when we're, when people post or when people tweet, right. Right. Because that same pebble, that same cannonball can also be found in like any words or posts that individuals put up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so like when you ask like for me, like what I hope for in 2021, you know, philosophically and tools, you know, I think, um, like I, I, uh, shared my my thoughts on it but also like i would love to see like more technological literacy Mm. and not and not and and not in a way where you need to uh, code or build a, a startup right right but more but more like 
if like get ridding of like if like social media companies and uh, like um, just make like just for a social experiment like got rid of the comment section. <laughs> yeah. Num- number one and number two got rid of like the edit and delete button. Mm. And and then that way, like whatever you post, whatever you tweet, whatever you say, that becomes a digital tattoo. Right. And that way, and that way, like if you think it, you feel it, you tweet it, you send it, and that and that is like, and you mean it, and that's there forever. Right. It's on wax. And I and I and going back to our idea about reflect, and I hope like without those tools to like delete and edit, then it would give people pause, and yeah, it would give sure. and it would give people a sense of reflection, like. Do I really want this as 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 a digital tattoo on me? Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. and and that way you eliminate like the oh, I, I accidentally I got hacked or <laughs> right. yeah, I, right. I didn't mean that or you know, and and I feel like I going was back, drunk. I yeah, right, yeah. Right, right, or or the proverbial uh, a follow up tweet of like I apologize for my yeah. <laughs> insensitivity. To anyone or, who know. I may have offended. Yeah. So I think I think that ties into this idea of like reflection, and and I don't think. Yeah. I don't think I think in 2019 and prior, I don't as a culture, I don't think we did a lot of that. And I, I, I'm interested to see uh, as a result of 2020 if it if it will lead more people to do that. Yeah, no, I think you're 100 percent right. I think we're going in a direction literally like 25, 50 years from now. I think they're going to look at us and be like, "Oh my god, they just gave you guys those things." <laughs> like really you just oh my goodness like that must have been fucked up you know like i, I don't yeah this is it's not gonna age well um, so all that being said if you could recommend not even recommend let's be more forceful about it if you could put into the hands of every american one book film or podcast for next year what do you think would be the most vital or most helpful Oh wow! Book, film, or podcast? I'm just putting podcasts into this space to <laughs> le- <laughs> legitimize myself here. You know, uh, I'm gonna let's uh, let's see. I'm reading. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. What I'm reading, like, I'm reading a, a book. Uh, do I? Yeah. Why not? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking. Oh, I, I got one. Actually, I have one that I feel very confident with. Okay. And I'll give you two. And one that like I'm saying I'm reading right now that I, I really like. But if it ends up like the end of it, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. <laughs> 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 then then I then uh, that's my disclaimer. Um, I feel like uh, a people's history of the United States by Howard mm, Zinn. Yeah. OK. I think I think that is because I, I, I feel like the the history classes that you wanted or at least I wanted as a high school student. Um, and as a college student is all in that book sure and all it is it's like it's not and i mean it's a very um uh gives you a a different perspective on the various historical uh events in our time yeah if you come away after chapter one still digging christopher columbus that's a (laughs) that's a a moral Um, and the one I'm uh, uh, currently reading is is uh, called "The Road Less Traveled" by uh, Scott Peck. Okay, and and you'll and you want and Benny, you'll appreciate this. Uh, 
because I was reading uh, Pat, rereading Pat Riley's book from the early 90s. <laughs> okay. And in it, he cites this, like a passage from this book. And, um, and, and the, sub, the subtitle, so it's called The Road Less Traveled, A New Psychology of Love, Traditional Values, and Spiritual Growth. Wow. Um, he died in 2005. I'm looking at the back right now, about halfway through. So far, there's nothing like where he's not like some sort of crazy lunatic or like right. I did a, I did a quick Google search on him and he, and he see like during his time, he seemed to be pretty, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know much about him yet, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, so in his, in Pat Riley's book, there was a passage from it. And I'm like, Oh, let, let me check it out. And so, um, yeah, so far it's been, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty good read. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank Neil. Thanks for doing this. Thanks no, I thank you. Thank you. Today. Thank you both for uh, for the opportunity and and uh, and you know keep doing what you're doing, Benny. When at some point I, I'd love I'd love to have that conversation with you about uh, when, about what you uh, what you texted Brad about, and maybe we can. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, we'll unpack it. <laughs> we'll unpack it. Oh, oh yeah, Doctor Kichi. I want to I want to move to the Jersey Shore and hang out with with Neil. I know. Dr. Neil. I want him to be my very, friend. Yeah. He's a very <laughs> uh, inspiring human. Very fun to be around. Has never even remotely disturbed me at all. <laughs> What's wrong <laughs> with him? <laughs> I know. He's just always been great. Waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, seriously. What's going yeah, on? Who's no, he burying out there in the woods of New Jersey? Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, such a good guy, man. Um, and also uh, connected connected to the world also the uh brother of the original bouncing souls drummer so okay a, uh, i didn't know a, that show yeah born and raised punk rocker as well he's got this mixture of philosopher alternative kid you know mm. like you know son of an immigrant like there's all this stuff going on with, okay with neil that just makes him a very complex individual <laughs> and definitely one of my my true spirit animals. That's a fact. Nice. I'm assuming that you went to Maxwell's a bunch. Oh yeah. I was yeah. going to say like, uh, you know, that that's, there's a lot of cred there. I mean, Maxwell's is, you know, that's like the CBGBs of, uh, of certain scenes. I wouldn't say yeah. Hoboken, but like, you know, I guess it is the CBs of Hoboken, but like yeah. it's got its own vibe and, you know, if you're going to hang out and drink beer someplace, that's a good place to do it, dude. Yeah, I got to say, it's probably one of the closest things Jersey ever had to to a CBGB's type thing as far as, you know, how long it existed and right. how many different different uh, bands stepped and, through there. And I remembered sure. the bathroom situation. Oh, but nightmare. And I remember like being just... Just generally, well, just getting on stage was like when, when yeah. it was a packed house, it was impossible yeah. to get up on stage because there's no backstage. Yeah. There's no way to get to the stage except through the crowd. No, no. It's definitely one of those venues that you quickly learn to like, you play <laughs> that venue in a different way, you know? <laughs> yeah. You get a piss like, bucket, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's where, when he first told that story about the piss bucket, uh. I'm like, oh, well, they've played there before. Yeah, exactly. Which, which means they've been stuck on stage needing to piss before. So obviously it's New Year's. We're going for it. <laughs> Bring in the piss bucket. I mean, it's not the worst idea, but to paint anybody a picture, I mean, Maxwell's was in a very like 
you know, yeah. it's a very urban area. It's yeah, right yeah. in the middle of North Hoboken. <laughs> and one thing that uh, North Jersey does not have, and even New York City doesn't have, that's misrepresented in movies and stuff. We don't have alleys. Yeah, true that. There's there's no alleyways, you know? <laughs> so there's nowhere nice to take a piss. Even if, <laughs> even if you leave the venue... <laughs> To go take a piss, you're still pissing in yeah, front of yeah, like either the- four yuppies or like three 16 year old Puerto Rican kids over there. Like someone's watching you piss. So uh, that was my first thought is like, where did you even dump the bucket? You know? Yeah. Like, but didn't Maxwell's have, um, like Maxwell's had used to feed you, right? They had good food oh, there. Great food. Yeah. I thought I- another, another part of the uh, weird balance in playing there. Was you not only got got great food, you got a free meal. Um, but you know yeah. it's a typical bar, so the kitchen closes. Right. So often I was like, I loved. They had this macaroni and cheese that they would bake in, like you know, a you know, like a clay pot kind of deal, right. like one of those. Oh, I fucking love that thing. I I'd think fuck I that remember thing up. that. Yeah. Oh, oh God. I'd fuck it up daily if I could. You know, big shells, <laughs> big fat shells. And uh, and I would always try to find this balance between playing there and eating that thing. And I don't think I ever succeeded, you know, because <laughs> I'd eat too much. Then I'd have to find his bathroom that, you know, you can't use. And yeah, well, whatever. We won't get into that. <laughs> but uh, no, Maxwell's was a, a fun place to be. I appreciate Neil coming on and giving us his insights from the professor. Uh, so who yeah. we got next, man? Well, all right. So thanks to Neil, first off. Next up, we have what I now deem the punk rock Willie Nelson, right? Because <laughs> it's quite a title. I met, listen, we talk about it a little bit in here. I met Roger Harvey randomly. I went to Kate Hiltz's house in Asbury Park. I'm not sure what I was doing there. And it was just kind of a, you know, skinny, long-haired fella with a very, very mellow vibe, just chilling out. Kate tells me who this is. And like I said in the interview, quickly, I was like, all right, I kind of want to be around this dude. Like, <laughs> this is this is a vibe. This is a thing. And then the more and more I got to know about him, his music, the longer he, um, you know, sort of honed in on exactly what his, you know, solo career was going to be. And now he's just got this really great thing going on. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him because I find him really soothing and eternally optimistic. And, uh, you know, we come from a world where I think a lot of people are taught to sort of hone in on the darkness Mm. a little bit and sort taught to kind of feed themselves off the darkness. So when I see uh, someone from our ilk, you know, taking this left turn and, um, you know, trying to come from a spirit of, of like we talked about, somebody like Willie Nelson, you know, uh, and then, put together the family experience, um, you know, online thing of all the friends and like-minded musicians and really building kind of a positive community. So I thought Roger would be a good guy to talk to, to, uh, you know, see how we can get through this, this next year without keeping our faces in the mud, Brad. Sounds good to me. Let's check it out. Yeah, let's check it out. Roger, what's your favorite uh, holiday dessert treat? <laughs> well, you know, I'm vegan. Okay. So I, I feel like I'm Peanut like, chews? 
Yeah, <laughs> and I'm and I live in Philly, so peanut juice. Yeah, so peanut uh, juice. <laughs> I don't know. I had a pecan pie this year. That was like a big, but that that doesn't fit in that category. What would Kate Hilt feed you? Definitely peanut juice. Yeah, <laughs> and then some weird, and then some weird things from like Germany. Mm-hmm. I feel like Germany does a really good job with like the vegan sweets. Mm. Um, and she's always, you know, she's. I know you know, or I assume you know, because I, <laughs> you know, I met you at uh, Kate's house that one. Yeah, time. I was gonna bring. So that is the single solitary time we hung out, right? In my in my memory, yeah, and it was just a random encounter. Did, were we both just not there the same day, just saying hello? I think we were just we were just kicking it, and yeah. then yeah, we smoked a little, and that's right. Because I remember getting there. I don't remember. I completely don't remember the context, but I remember after about ten minutes being like, "Yeah, I chill with this guy." You I know? I I remember like <laughs> I I had a. Uh, I know, like, Tim Barry always speaks so highly of you, so no. I think it, it was one of those situations where it, I guess this might happen a lot at Kate's house, um, where there's, I'm like, oh, who's this? And then, like, pretty quickly, I was like, oh, this is the mutual friend of all these other really important people to me. So It's the point of Little Eden, isn't it? It is, right? It's like the community. You know, in Philly, the tasty has become... Oh. Kind of that similar spirit now. Has that, it now that Kate spends most of her time there? <laughs> right. um, it's been a little bit different lately, but she just works her ass off. So, uh, and now, of course, you don't go inside anywhere anymore. So it's it's yeah. a little different. But she sorted us out. This is the uh, the noble and prestigious Kate Hiltz, who was featured on the podcast just, what, six weeks, two months ago. Yeah, not too far back. And she hooked me up because I had a birthday fairly recently. And one of the first things that really started bringing me to Kate's house was her vegan ribs, um, which I'm sure you've had before, the barbecue, oh, yes. oh, barbecue yes. ribs, the very famous ones. And she would, you know, text me for her, even pre-texting, call me for, you know, these parties and stuff. And I'd say, listen, I'd love to come, but are there going to be ribs? You know, this was like kind of my caveat. And one of the uh, mornings around my birthday, my wife, you know, I like to know what's going on. So she's like, can you do me a favor? Just get in the fucking car without asking like a bunch of questions. I'm like, sure. Uh, and she brings me and I quickly realize we're going to Philadelphia. And I'm like, "Uh oh, this has to do with the tasty. Something has to do with the tasty. And it turns out I never even saw Kate, but what was waiting for me there? Two trays, full trays <laughs> of ribs. Amazing. amazing. So, this brings me to what I was going to say. We should all just say WWKHD, right? For 2021. What would Kate Hiltz do? <laughs> Our spirit animal. <laughs> so how's it going for you? Where are you at? In Philly? Yeah, I'm sitting here in Philly where I've been sitting for... Seems like an eternity. Um, yeah, and it's been a little bit. Yeah, but I'm. I actually live really close to to the tasty. So here in South Philly, and I don't do shit. 
I haven't, I haven't <laughs> been, I, you know, I work or you probably don't know, but, uh, I work as a bartender when I'm not on tour. Oh, okay. And so I ended up, uh, at the beginning of this, I flew out to Los Angeles to do some shows with my partner, Anika, um, mm-hmm. who I think has been on the show before. Maybe like she a has a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. Um, and we basically started our descent into Los Angeles. And when we started, started our descent, I had paid for Wi-Fi, and I was looking <coughs> at Twitter and I was like, okay. and I saw a tweet I, or as you know, I saw like news come in and it was Tom Hanks in, in oh, my memory. Right. It was first, it was Tom Hanks. They were like, we are going to start our slow descent into Los Angeles. And then it was the NBA. And by the time we landed, I was like, did this, like, did the world just end? Like, did this just <laughs> all happen? Like in this wow. like descent. Um, and by the time so we landed, that? that was like March, March 10th, March 11th ish. I think it was the 11th of March. Yeah. Um, maybe the 12th. Um, but yeah, somewhere, somewhere around there. And by the time we landed, I was like, we've got to cancel all these shows. It just was yeah. like very apparent. I saw someone wow. said, what a year the last hour has been. And it was that where I was like, okay, it's not just me. I'm not like, you know, catastrophizing. Like it's really, it was like just kind of the moment. Um, yeah. And so, uh, we ended up trying to figure out what to do and we drove all the way back across the country which was such a trip and a really long story because it was just so different well i guess now in hindsight if you drove across america right now it would probably look really similar uh in the fact that it was like every town we went to it was like some towns it was like ghost town like lockdown other towns it was like everybody's just going about their their business so now that you mention this, I think we heard the other side of this story from Jeff Rosenstock the last time he was on. Was he part okay. of was he, <laughs> he part, was of part of accepting you guys in California? Uh he was part of it because Jeff um well we landed and I was like in full on spin of like, we gotta cancel these shows, right? Yeah. Like right. you know, and he kinda like we're kinda like, well, I don't know, because a lot of the shows we were doing were house shows on the way to South by Southwest. And at that time it seemed like, well, it's just South by Southwest had been canceled. Um, which obviously was like, that makes a lot of sense. It's this big international festival. Everything was happening in Italy that we had been hearing about. And I was actually with Tim Berry in Philly. We were playing a show and it was like during sound check, we got the news that South by Southwest had been canceled. Um, and we were just kind of all like looking at each other, like what the fuck is that ended up being the last show that we were able to play at boot and saddle, which is now closed. God, it's been a long year. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. In your industry. Right. So I, yeah, we ended up going out to eat with Jeff and we were just like, what do we do? And (laughs) it was actually really funny because, I mean, none of us knew, had any idea what was really ahead of us, but we were just kind of going back and forth at the table. Like, I remember at one point, Jeff was like, 
I'd do the tour. And then we were like, <laughs> no, no, we we got to cancel the show. Like we just kept right, going right. back and forth. And by the morning, it was like, we know what, what to do. Yeah, it was so hard to know at that point. It really was. And there was obviously not uh, some sort of, you know, top down, you know, authoritative answer coming from anyone because because nobody knew. I mean, well, there's no precedent. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason I was dipping, like, my groceries in hot water for, like, <laughs> fucking three months. I didn't fucking know, you know? We're, yeah. we're doing what we can out here, you know? But so the point of this episode, Roger, and one of the reasons I had you on is because I find you to be a very calming, optimistic character in this world. You you present a good, uh, a good feeling to the community you're in, where I think I even said to Jamie, you're, you're kind of reminding me of, like, the punk rock Willie Nelson. I don't know if... You've heard that before. It's probably not too, um, too clever. Well, that's an honor, <laughs> and you, and you <laughs> probably know that I'm a huge Willie Nelson fan, um, and I've learned a lot from listening to Willie Nelson and sure. also his like philosophies on life and stuff have been hugely influential on me. Um, it's awesome. So, so that being said, you know we're trying to. I don't think we name this episode what can we call it? The Optimist Club? Like that Sticks and Stones record? I don't know. But so what's something in the last year? Like, you know, obviously it's been a shit show, but there's anything, you know, personally on the inside of you or in the outside of your community? Like, do you think it's been responsible for any positive changes you've seen in in your life, your mentality, your community? Like anything that it pivoted in a good way for you? I think it's been, you know, I, I I knew the theme of the show going into it, and I was thinking about it a lot. And and part of me was like, "Wow, it's been such an insane year." Um, and I'm so it's so important to me to stay optimistic. I think part of that is just being an artist, um, especially mm-hmm. in the way that I operate. It's like if you can't roll with the punches of everything, it's there's really no future point. Um, mm. So I've had to just kind of adapt a lot in that sense. Uh, but I was talking with someone this morning and I was saying like, I'm having such a difficult time starting this new year. Like usually when I, when we click over, it's like, you know, there's a big celebration and then mm-hmm. we're like, all right, these are our resolutions, right. but it feels different right now. Right. <laughs> like, is it just it, me? Yeah. Um, no, but it, it does. It, it, yeah. It, it feels more to me like I'm still like kind of reckoning with the last year and trying to wrap my head around it and, and everything that we've been through. But to go back to the question uh, at the beginning, um, I guess I say it's a roller coaster because there's been so many positive things that have come out of this year. And I know that I'm very lucky to be able to say that and feel that way um, sure. through all the hardship and everything. But the first thing that really struck me was the stillness mm-hmm. that we all got to experience. Right. And it was something that I really love <laughs> and really appreciate. <laughs> sure. And when, you know, before a lot of the 
unrest. And I mean, there's such a positive to a lot of the really hard things that have happened too. Um, I think we all know that like the things that have been illuminated about the failures of our country, though they're so difficult, we weren't reckoning with them before. So, you know, talking to someone like my dad um, about racism in our country or another thing that I thought was like a little cliche, but like really ironic uh, with the way that I grew up, um, the conversations about Christopher Columbus and the truth Mm. about our history and what like, you know, that's that's a huge positive thing that came out of all of this unaddressed darkness. So like you get back home to Philly and, and, you know, you're someone who works at bars, plays shows, you know, does a J with people at night. Like obviously everything that, that you have built around Philly is based on, you know, this, this version of community. So, so that was quickly replaced with, with what, just like a, a quietness and a stillness that you appreciated, even though that, that stuff went away? Truthfully, when we got back, um, because the though the drive across the country was beautiful um, in many ways, and I was so grateful to be able to do it with Anika, it was also very scary. We were like, right. what's happening? What's going to happen when we get back to town? What it was just such a chaotic moment. Um, mm-hmm. I kept saying when we were when we were on our way back, I kept saying, we should write a book about this sometime. Um, <laughs> but shortly after that, I realized that no matter where you were in those days, you know, the middle of March, um, you know, until we entered lockdown in most places, I think at the end of March, you probably feel that way. Um, because yeah, it yeah. just was, it's just a moment that we're never gonna forget. And, and it was so unknown and so unique. But by the time we got back to Philly, it was just like, I literally, I remember dropping off the rental car and being like, okay, now we just go to the house <laughs> right? and yeah. we're just going to be in the house. And we were really pretty relieved. We stocked up on a bunch of groceries on the way back and um yeah it just went from like everyone else it was just everything was just turned upside down and yeah i feel like i always uh talk about this i feel like there was this you know speaking of the roller coaster that it's all been uh when you're trying to look at all those bright spots which again there are many um it's like there was a moment in the beginning where we were all like, I have no idea what's going on. What is right. this show? Tiger King. We'll all watch <laughs> Tiger King. Oh, yeah. And I always like think about this like funny moment before all yeah. the unrest and all this other stuff happened where we were all just kind of like, I started doing a show every day um, because in my mind, I was like, it wasn't like a big elaborate thing. I was just like, well, yeah. I have a phone so I can just go live and I would play right. a few songs every day. And there was a bunch of really good people that would tune in. And we were all kind of just like, you know, finding this space for this weird moment. Um, right. And 
it was, that's like another really funny like relic because at that time I thought like, all right, I'll do like a show every day for a couple of weeks. Then it was like, right. yeah. all right, for a month, I'll do a show. It got to like <laughs> towards the end of the second month. And I was like, I can't do a show every day anymore. Right, like, yeah. like what the hell else am I going to play? <laughs> I've played all my songs. I've played so, you know, um, yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. I think there it, was, there was that window right at first where everybody thought we were just kind of like biding time, you know? Like, oh, we're biding time till it gets like warm. Right. You mm-hmm. know, we're biding time until the spring and then then we'll have a better sense of things. We're biding time. And then after, you know, by I think like, you know, midsummer or something, it just everybody's like, oh, this is like, this is permanent. You know, anybody without their their heads and their asses realize like the super major changes that are happening. And I think, I don't know, to me, it went from sort of, like you said, you know, uh, oh, let's drink an extra bottle of wine a week and watch Tiger King to like, oh, we're on the precipice of like major worldwide change. To me, I I think it felt so much more real after, you know, George Floyd and the protests and Black Lives Matter, where like that kind of added to just this this dystopian idea that it was kind of like, all falling apart. I think before then, uh, maybe we were just so focused on this idea that we're all just going to wait it out and go back to normal or what we imagined was normal. And then I, maybe after two, three months, normal was no longer an option, you know, like going back to zero was no longer an option. And everyone was almost forced to, to do the, the things that I think we all had to do, which is like, look inside or look outside or look into these different directions to find your own solace inside of it. So, so that, that being said, like, like, do you agree with that? And, and what did you use once you realize this is like, okay, this is, this isn't going anywhere. And like, how can I save my optimism? How can I save my heart here? I 100% agree. Um, and you know, I think there's always been the idea that like we're, we all are experiencing this moment together. Um, but it's really interesting to hear you say that because it's exactly the way that I've, I experienced it when, when we started, one thing that was bringing me a lot of hope in the beginning and still bringing me a lot of hope, uh, is I've been learning to record from home. Um, Mm. and one of the first songs that I did was a song that I was working on. It's called Last Prisoner. Okay. I have yet to release it. Um, But I did this recording project for it, for a project called The Last Prisoner Project, um, which works to help get people who are serving time for cannabis, nonviolent cannabis offenses, uh, predominantly out of prison now that the world is changing so much outside of the prison walls. And I I wrote this song about it and we started recording it. It must've been in April at some time, maybe end of April. Okay. And we had, we just wrapped this recording project. We were listening back to it. We had, uh, I'll just say it, even I haven't uh, released it because there are no rules anymore. Um, (laughs) But one of the coolest things about it, is we had Mickey Raphael, who is Willie Nelson's harmonica 
player oh, and on fuck it. Yeah. Nice. Hell yeah. And that was just such a trip because I'm such a huge fan and he's like yeah, a hero yeah. of mine. Um, but, you know, riding the wave off of that, me and my friend Justin Francis, who I do my recording with down in Nashville, we were just passing things back and forth. He was teaching me. He was like, like literally like so rudimentary, like, all right, put the microphone here and then play <laughs> the guitar. Uh, <laughs> and we had just gotten the song back. We were all super excited about it. I was like, it kind of like gave me this feeling like, oh, maybe we could do like a whole record from the house. Like it will be a different, but it could be really cool. And it was just super fun. Yeah. And then the news of George Floyd came out. Um, and I just felt completely derailed by, yeah. you know, I, I just, I felt a, so many different things, but it was just like glued to the news. I feel like right. for like months, yeah. you know, and the sure. chaos that followed. And uh, on my birthday is when Donald Trump gave the speech, the famous speech where he uh, walked to the church to for oh, the photo yeah. op. And sure. I was just like, I was so deep in my head. I couldn't think of it. It was almost like I lost all hope. Um, mm. And I hate feeling that way. <laughs> Uh, but it to was, the point I mean, that it, a, a song you had written that had such a good intention and a hopeful intention, you just couldn't even you couldn't face anymore. No, it, it it wasn't about the it wasn't about the song in particular. It was it was deeper than that, and you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. sound too, but I guess like in that moment, especially at first, it just we were kind of ramping up to. You know, we'd finished it. We were like, let's get this thing out as soon as possible. And then it was just like, right. I don't know if I can release music right now. Yeah. It's it sure. just like, it just didn't feel like, I just felt like I I needed to pay attention and I needed to sit back and I needed to just take this moment in and do anything that I could to to help and to understand. Yeah, um, Sure. And so was so, it more the idea of like being seen as you're like trying to promote something in, in that time? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's a, that's a huge part of it. Like no matter what spiritual path you are on in music, there's always this kind of thing where that just like lives in my head where I'm just like, uh, like I don't want it to seem like I'm like peddling something around. Like <laughs> yeah, sure. I just like to, like to make music and I like to do these things and I, I try to have, I try to do, do a good job and also have, you know, a realistic amount of humility about the, the yeah. hilarity of all of it. Um, sure. But yeah, I guess, I guess more so the story is to exemplify, like that was, I guess just to relate to you in that sense where it was just like when the unrest started, and George Floyd was murdered and all these things were happening. And our, I don't even want to say the word president uh, because I I literally loathe this guy. (laughs) I hate him. And I hate that I feel that way even, but uh, there's a lot to hate. Uh, And he causes so much pain and so much suffering for others. But it took, I guess I was just relating in the sense that, it took me a long time 
to kind of get back. And now I, I just feel like I'm, I'm back to this place where it's like, okay, I've like lined up some things for this year and it's like, this is the work that I'm going to do. But one of the, th- one of the things that was a big thing for me, uh, before this was, I guess to use the word spiritual was about like, I do approach a lot of things in my life spiritually, whatever that means. Um, mm-hmm. But music is something that is just so deeply important to me. Um, right. And it's something that I I just take so seriously and I love it so much. And I, I feel so grateful to be able to contribute to in like my little way to this bigger thing that is American music or folk music or whatever it all is. But it's just something that has always given me hope in my life, always kept me going. And uh, despite all the hardships of everything. And one thing that really cracked the code for me before this was not planned by all the rules that I was told for so long, uh, especially as a slightly younger person coming up in all of it. Uh, You know, there's people out there, I know you know, that say you got to do X, Y, Z and that will get you to this place. And none of mm-hmm. that shit ever worked for me. Um, <laughs> right. But, yeah. and some of those same people, and maybe this was a little more about me, but I started to feel like maybe I'm not like cut out for this. Maybe this is, but when I finally cracked the code on moving forward with it, it was just kind of like a back to basics moment where I just had to ask myself, what is it? Why do I make music? Right. What is it that I want? Yeah. And That's right. And the answer was so simple, or the answers were so simple. And huh. uh, and the, I guess some of those answers are because music saved my life, because I have a spiritual relationship with it. Because when I listen to someone sing a song that moves me, it's the most profound experience that I've had. And it's it's lifted me out of so much darkness in my life. But sure, uh, I think my new... Uh, to apply that to, I guess I, I felt like I had a pretty good stride going um, before this. I was traveling a lot. I was playing a lot. I was playing with a lot of really good people. Um, mm-hmm. All people that I really like just related to. And yeah. it just felt really like like family. And I, I think for me, at least, like music should feel. Sure. And, you know, and I was working a lot so that I didn't have to deal with some of the bullshit uh, (laughs) when you're chasing other things, you don't have to, to work for. So, but I, I came, you know, I had a lot of peace with my work at the bar too. I actually quit drinking almost two years ago. Um, Oh, wow. Congratulations. uh, But thank you. Um, But I've been, you know, I've always worked as a bartender and, that was a, a huge part of it. Uh, but there's things about bartending that, you know, can eat at me and things like that. But I love the people that I worked for. And uh, I just had like, you know, I was like working at the bar. Then I go out on the weekends and play shows. This year, my new, I just started a Patreon, um, which oh, okay. I know you guys have too, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh I've been trying to wrap my head around it. Um, one of the things, like a lot of it 
makes me really excited because it just seems like a good place to focus my energy Mm -hmm. um, in this new year when we still have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, Um, yeah. It's interesting (laughs) you talk about that point. I mean, I saw a lot of artists go through that, and I guess I went through it myself, you know, was something about what was happening in the country, I think made everybody turn inside on like their own values. And, you know, if you're just somebody who's on social media every day, just kind of generally just like talking shit, not really like promoting anything, just kind of maybe promoting yourself and talking some shit. All of a sudden the world got real serious around you and there's no place for that. There's no value to that. And I think a lot of people were able to, look inside of themselves at that point and determine their own value. And the fact that, you know, you had to step back, see what your music meant to you, the fact that it holds this much value to you and what, and then you feel comfortable putting it out into the world again. So I think everybody had this sort of stark contrast of like, is the thing I'm doing valuable enough to even have a space right now? And if it's not, maybe maybe I should just shut the fuck up, right? <laughs> um, so how did that turn into you? Like for you, the, uh, you know, you talk a lot about creating the family and having, um, you had your family show just a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, I did, yeah. Is, yeah, so, so have you been able to take that feeling you got after that and, and turn it into you know, more of an effort or an avenue that like, you'd like to see it, see it go down more in like 2021? I think my, my favorite part of music or one of my favorite parts of music is, is that community aspect. I think it's so interesting that as artists, we get to, we have this like incredible privilege to meet so many different people who all do incredible things and and we get to choose uh not like we're going out there like i choose you and i don't choose you but you know you vibe with people and sure sure uh there's just people i mean tim berry is a great example of someone that we have done so many so much touring together and from the first time we went out it was just i didn't know tim that well when we started traveling uh, but I had a feeling I have so much respect for him. And I mean, he's Tim, he's an amazing per- human and songwriter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you just have those, I think we all have those experiences where we're just really lucky to meet other people who are just like, yeah, you get it. Like we're, we <laughs> get it. We're, we're, and that's what to me, the family show at its essence is about it's about people who I've been lucky enough to meet and who I just think are exceptional people in my little corner of things and uh the, the holiday show that we just did yeah I have no idea how we pulled it off um but <laughs> I'm really grateful for the little role that I could play in it and for everyone that participated because it really was like it was the highlight of my year because I guess I'm realizing now because of that, because it is this, it exemplifies the power of a union of people, um, of good people coming together 
no no music market, no music business, just like <laughs> yeah. me and my house who I don't have any access to a lot of those avenues, texting friends of mine saying, Hey, would you sing a song for this show? And then right. and then pulling something together that got a crazy amount of viewership and because of all the amazing people involved and uh I don't know, brought me a lot of hope. And I know yeah. at least a few people told me that they felt the same about it. So it was a huge accomplishment. Well good man. You're you're a steward of positivity. We need it. <laughs> yeah. We're trying. Um, <laughs> so I mean, so you wake up, you know, you wake up there in the day, or, or I don't know when you wake up. You wake up in the morning. What what's something like you'll you'll tell yourself on a daily basis to kind of to to stay positive, to stay connected. What what are some some tools that that you use to to stay optimistic? Besides for weed. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a big one. That's uh, definitely uh, also <laughs> like music has saved my life. I don't know. I think I do think that there's something in this idea of stillness. I was talking mm. to Tom May last night. Um, I had this philosophy that was based on uh, the my friend Mike Brenner, who plays steel guitar with me, who is just a legend and is own right and someone that when I walk into the room with him, I feel like his presence really pushes me because I have such a deep respect for mm. his musicianship and his legacy. And I can't, every time I play with him, I'm like, I can't believe that he will play with me. Um, <laughs> and so we were on our way up to New York City for a show. I did a show where I played acoustic guitar with the band Wild Pink. Okay. And, and, Mike plays in that band as well. And he was, we were just kind of rapping about this stuff. We were talking about our philosophy of music and, and life. And, uh, and he said something that I thought was really profound. He said that, you know, for all the hardship of music, the one thing that always keeps me going is striving for excellence. And mm. I just thought it just really hit me. Because, yeah, that's uh, cool. very cool. Because it's it's such a cool philosophy, but it's also um, something that when I stand on stage with him, I I look over at him, and or when I watch him play with a with someone else, and I'm like, that's excellence. He's striving for excellence. It's so good. Yeah. Um, so I just had such a deep respect for it. It really like got in my mind. I was sharing it with some friends of mine because I thought it was just so inspiring. And yesterday I was talking to Tom and he said, you remember how 2020 was all about excellence when we started? And we were like laughing about it. And he said, 2021 is all about ease. And I was like, ah. I just said, I love it. It's uh, so I, I think that like something in the stillness and just allowing, you know, there's so much like hustle. Yeah in this world and in every aspect of this world. And right now, uh, many of us though, there are a lot of hardships and I guess like one complicated part is it is in a different point now where it's like, well, what are we going to do for me? I was lucky to get unemployment. Um, right. and 
we're like, how long is that going to last? But mm -hmm. I'm just going to take, I just try to take things one day at a time. And I think uh, ease is the, is the word that I would uh, say that I, I think I'm going to try to focus on this year yeah. as I, I get in the flow of everything. Perfect word for 2021. And uh, so, I mean, that's kind of the philosophical side. Is there a, like a sort of physical, tangible side that you use? Like, do you carve space in every day to think, to walk, to meditate? Like, is there anything in your daily practice that you, that you find helps? Well, um, so many things. But the weed, I mean, I smoke a lot of, I I take in a lot of weed. It's like medicine to me. Mm -hmm. Um and sure. I I do feel like it has a it has a tendency to you know, we're deep thinkers because of it. Um mm -hmm. it's something that I identified about smoking from the first time that I did it. Um it's just an elevated elevated kind of thought process and a yeah. lot of problem solving and and I love that. Uh one thing about this past year that I'm so grateful for it is I've been playing so much guitar oh, and cool. it's something that I never have time or struggle to find time, especially when we're in the swing of like doing a lot of shows and stuff like that. It, I, it sometimes you can like lose that aspect, but uh, I can't say that this year that there hasn't been an abundance of time to just sit around with my, my guitar. And I've, I've been writing a lot. I've had a lot of lulls this year where it's kind of like, how do you write? What do you write about in this? <laughs> Am I ready to write about this? Um, yeah. You know, as as we like process it all in, in real time. But I've been really proud of a lot of the songs that I've gotten out. And um, we also got a puppy. Um, <laughs> COVID puppy. A COVID puppy. Yeah. <laughs> Just like so many others that it's like such a great, it was such a great year to be a dog. Rolling What's its name? Another. 19? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a, yeah, the last, the last hope. Um, it's, it's, her name is Sister Bobby and she's oh, named perfect. after Willie Nelson's sister. Uh, but we call oh. her sister, we call her sister for short. And I just saw that book, that book in Barnes and Noble that they wrote the, the memoir to each other. Yeah, I'm um, actually they, reading it right now. Yeah, it seemed um, it seemed really interesting. What a cool connection those two have. It's such a cool format, the way that the book works, because it's chapter yeah. for chapter and it's pretty short for, form, but they basically tell the same stories um, right. just from right, right, their right. perspective, which is very different because they differ in age. And it's, I, I'm just so, it's it's not just the the Willie Nelson story, not to discredit the focus here of sister Bobby, but, uh, I, I love reading that stuff. Greg from the souls gave me, uh, he was like, you have to read this book. And he sent me a copy of Willie Nelson's last memoir. It's called, it's a long story, my life. Oh. Um, and I was, I just was endlessly inspired by it, but it, I guess I was going to say, it's not just about the story. It's the way that he tells it and the the philosophy behind all of it, but that I'm I'm just getting into that book, but it's uh, same same spirit there. Yeah, I love that. Well, I was I was I've been asking the question, what's a book or a, a film that you would recommend? So we'll go with that one. 
But since you have such a deep understanding of Willie, or I think you have a deep understanding of Willie, at least deeper than me, what do you think is a nugget that Willie Nelson would want to tell the world right now? Like, what's the true intention of his work? Like, if if you could just simplify it. I think, um, well, firstly, he's been doing a lot of interviews and telling people what, uh, what oh, okay. he, so, so, I mean, but I think that the real, for me, the thing that really hit me and the reason, uh, the conversation that kind of stemmed why, why Greg was like, you have to read this book is for me, the, the big inspiration that I connected to is the ability to let things go, which is a, mm. a philosophy that is so deeply important to me. Um, but I think the the true beauty of the Willie Nelson story um, is is about hope, and it's a it's about positivity, and it's about humility, and it's about mm. continuing um, through all the hardships and. I I just think it's a a truly beautiful thing to see someone who does uh, something similar to what I do, which is sing songs and has been through all this bullshit on his level, (laughs) uh, which is so different than mine. But I really related to a lot of the stories and to go through it all and to be where he's at today and still doing what he's doing, I, I think... I mean, that's, I think about it sometimes and I'm like, man, if I can be 87 and uh, doing what <laughs> yeah. he's doing, I'll be pretty happy uh, yeah, with everything, especially right if there, I can huh? be, be so spiritually at peace about all the hardships of that everything in life yeah. brings. Uh, let's be like Willie, huh? <laughs> let's all just be like Willie. We'll burn one and we'll get through this. All right, Brad, you ready for that? Double blunts? Uh, I <laughs> Double blunt session? Can I, uh, you do it? It could be some long pauses in that session. <laughs> nah, if you keep, the listen, there's a reason the hippie speedball is called the hippie speedball. <laughs> if we keep enough coffee in tow, yeah. we should be all right, okay. you know? <laughs> what would happen to you? It's a serious question, okay? Say, say we were uh, recording at like the podcast network. We were recording at before the pandemic mm-hmm. not going to drop the name anymore <laughs> uh <laughs> clearly not listening um <laughs> so say we're in that studio right pretty yeah. small mm-hmm. you know pretty airtight mm-hmm. and let's say roger and i we're, I'm not, we're not coming in with bangers you know they called them gotties when i was a kid when i was a kid if you smoked a gotti you didn't even crack the blunt open. You just picked the tobacco out of it and left the shell. Right. And actually filled that with weed. I don't know if you can imagine how much weed that takes. It's a lot of to weed. To fill a lot. Okay. <laughs> so say we're not doing gaudies, but we have some sizable ones. Mm. Like, do you think you're going along for the ride with us there? I don't Probably think I'll not. have a choice, dude. It's called a contact <laughs> high. How long has it been since it's touched your lips? Weed? Yeah. Oh, I think I I think I hit a joint at a Christmas party. I mean I did. I think maybe last year. 
Okay, so about but a I year don't ago. do it very often. I mean, I've said this maybe not on the show, but like, you know, it's too it's too powerful. I'll be like, I'm I'll be psyched <laughs> when they make it legal in New York State so that I can go get like you know like a high CBD concentrate, like mm-hmm. low THC mix, like the fucking garbage weed that I smoked when I was fourteen. You know, like right. it's too strong for me. I used to. Um, I used to, when I was doing more like producing and stuff, I worked with an artist who I won't name, but this guy had a West Coast connection that at the time was the most powerful weed you could get in New York. (laughs) I'm not even joking. Like he got on a lot of, I'm not going to end up IDing if I talk too much. Put it this way. When Sean Paul came to town, I've had dinner with Sean Paul because he... Because he would come from Jamaica and get weed from this dude when he was in New York. So that's so this was Sean Paul's New York weed hookup. The guy who had a song. Yes, that's how. Chronic. Give me the light and pass the dro. <laughs> okay, yes. so yeah, this yeah. is some high level stuff. This stuff was we're so chronic, and there was one time I remember. So I've got a lot of contact highs <laughs> sure. around him. I did a bunch of music with him. And it was usually all with lots of weed going on. That reminds me of, have you ever heard that, <laughs> that famous like wives tale? I'm not sure if it's real or not, but there is a story that, you know, there's a part in I shot the sheriff, the original version of it where you can hear like a skip. Okay. And it became a, a mythology that I've heard from more than one person that apparently the crew left the studio. They were just wrapping up like a song or an album. So the producer apparently who didn't smoke picked up something that was in an ashtray to like, you know, yeah, reward themselves yeah. for finishing the session. <laughs> this is in the days of tape. Right. And apparently was smoking it. The cherry fell out and burnt through a portion of the two inch tape. <laughs> And before they got back, you know, he like stoned panic <laughs> and spliced and it spliced together. It. <laughs> and apparently you can hear that jump in the song. Oh, my God. So I, I would love if anyone listening can. I would fully believe it. As, nor deny this tale. As somebody it. who has been in enough similar sessions where shit like that happened, I, I fully believe that story. That That doesn't even like sound far-fetched to me at all this is where i i'm like man i just didn't make it big enough in music you know because <laughs> i'm like i've been to studios i've recorded on two inch tape and you know what every single time i did i would have gotten thrown out of that fucking <laughs> recording room if i brought a blunt into it you know what uh, i mean yeah i never had enough juice no where i could just walk around a studio with a blunt. i was a drummer subjugated to the weird weed room and whatever where whatever it was in the studio you know speaking of weed who who do we have next yeah well anyway that's the perfect process for getting into my aunt judy who i hope listens i she knows they all know i don't care um i think who knows she's a psychologist in new york for many years she's I'm sure she's gotta no be stranger. pretty cool no stranger to these things but definitely cool enough where i certainly have no uh no hesitancy to to for my aunt to hear the fact that I've smoked blunts in recording studios. I'm pretty <laughs> sure my family wouldn't be super shocked about that. But anyway, uh, speaking of spirit animals, my aunt Judy's not only been a a source of 
you know, inspiration and spirit for just me, but my entire family. She's not only a psychologist, she's funny as fuck, super giving, super generous, and also a really talented artist. Um, you know, like every year for my entire life, I've gotten handmade collage birthday cards, holiday mm-hmm. cards, these beautiful, like they're all like little pieces of art to the point that my father has them framed in his bathroom. And I'm not the only one who get them. We all get them. Mm. We all get these beautifully thought out collaged cards. Just one of those people is so thoughtful and so consistent and has always been this great beacon in in my life for sure. Um, and, you know, by knowing her, I usually get off the phone when we talk with a new perspective or uh, some new piece of knowledge that I found usable. Mm. So I figured that's a perfect person to talk to right now. You know, I might take some shit from my dad <laughs> that I didn't ask him because he's sitting in Florida probably being like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll get to it, Pops. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. And it was really interesting to talk to her. I, I even there was a couple of times when you were doing this where I'm like, wait, wait, I'm I'm recording a I'm interviewing my aunt right now. This is fucking weird. It was a little surreal, actually, at times. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was awesome. We should listen. We should listen to our Aunt Judy segment. Auntie, you sound better than some audio professionals and singers and stuff that we use. I think your Chromebook is working well. Well, thank you. I'm very fond of it. <laughs> so how's it going? You okay? Yep. Yep. It's been a long day, but everything's okay. So we're doing this uh, episode. As you know, we're usually uh, doing long form interviews with guitarists and singers and drummers about songwriting process and things like that. But I thought it would be nice to start the year to have a few spirit animals on who, (laughs) who guide us through. You are one of my spirit animals. And we wanted to ask you a couple questions about not only like your experience the last year, but just some things we can all learn from and move ahead on going into this, this new one. So, I mean, first, was there anything in like the last year that, that you came away thinking that this was like some sort of positive twist or... (sighs) something you saw in like the world or yourself that actually moved it in a, in a good direction? Well, I think it's, it's hard and you have to dig deep to really find it. But in general, I found that people have been more caring than one anticipated. And for the most part, much more respectful of Mm. other people so that was kind of a positive. It's sad that it takes a situation like this to bring out those qualities in people, but I did see that. On a on a personal level, um, it's interesting that I also overcame um, a lot of the fear of being alone. Mm. And um, that's always been a challenge. You know, right. you like to be around people and very often being around people helps you to get away from some of your own thoughts and your own sure. worries and fears. 
So it was really um, a confrontation with self over this past year, which I think is really important. I don't know how much I'll take away with me (laughs) when we go back to normalcy, if we ever do. But I think that that was an important quality too. And also to take more time to think and get involved with, as you probably know, I enjoy art and painting and so on. And I really had much more time to do that and really kind of challenge myself in that direction. And this pandemic really tied into, I mean, how long prior to, to the fall of Rome here did you actually officially retire? Two years. Yeah. So, so, I mean, this kind of came all at a head, huh? Like, cause you had to deal with not only kind of the loss of community through school, but then on top of that being, being a little stuck in the house. Right. So it was really like a slap that's, in the face. Yes, Ben, that, that's an excellent point because, you know, I was at the point of thinking, okay, now that I'm retired and I really want to continue to contribute, although I still work one day a week and I do a lot of clinical supervision, um, trying to figure out, do I want to use my skills in a voluntary way or do Mm. I want to do something completely different? And everything that I was planning just obviously, like with everybody else, fell apart. Right. I want, like, you know, you've been working in a, obviously the, the teaching context for, you know, the bulk of your adult life at this point. And, you know, so many of the things that happened are obviously a result of the world itself and a disease that nobody has control over. But, you know, things were changing prior to this disease. Uh, You know, there was a lot of twists and turns for culture already happening. And this, you know, almost feels like the culmination to me. The, The question I wanted to get at is like in your years of seeing and ushering eager young minds through through college is there is there something in the last few years a real tangible difference that you could hone in on that's mm. different in the younger generations and perhaps causing problems for the newer generations well okay um, just for clarity benny you know most of my work has been with graduate students who are clearly um, goal-oriented and getting their doctorates in psychology. Right, right, right. So that's one group, and I'll reflect on that in a minute. Sure. But I also made a commitment to teach undergraduates because I like them. (laughs) And uh, that's (laughs) where there was a real change in terms of um, less learning for learning's sake uh-huh. And more learning to achieve an outcome. I see. And if something wasn't directly relevant to who they wanted to become, there was very little intrigue in the content. I mean, mm. I was teaching an interdisciplinary course, which, you know, I find exciting with it has poetry and literature and music and every and Half the students say, why do we have to learn this? You know, I'm going to be an accountant. I don't need to know this. Yeah, right. And then there are several 
individuals who come to college, and right now you probably know the number, but 72% of high school graduates attend some form of higher education. Right. And with all due respect, and it doesn't mean they aren't lovely people, I think at least one third to one half of them really need to do something else before they come to college. Ah, interesting. And we have so devalued, you know, the trades, uh, right, right. the plumber, and you probably have experienced this recently, you know, trying to get someone to do something in your home. And when my electrician drives up in a BMW <laughs> and I'm driving my old Toyota, you begin to wonder. Yeah, right. Maybe the undergrad degree wasn't the best idea. That's right. What did my doctorate do for me, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, if if like if Zeke came up to me, you know, tomorrow and said, "Hey, I want to," and maybe not tomorrow. Let's give it a few years. But <laughs> right, you right. know, if he came up to me and was like, "Yeah, you know, I want to go to this college and just mess around. I'll start in the liberal arts program, and you know, maybe get this kind of degree without that real focus." I think at this point, I would really advise against it, you know, mm. unless there was like, and I know I'm a unique case of someone who managed to you know, <laughs> get get anywhere without, you know, getting into a corporate structure or getting into the education structure. You know, I managed to make a life for myself without it, but I know that that's rare. and. Right. And I would. I mean, I see so many people struggling through trying to trying to find their way with degrees when, yeah, like you said, they would have been better off. Hey, you used to tinker with amps when you were 16. You probably should have just went in and been an electrician, like right. you said. Right. I mean, it's so interesting. I have very, very bright doctoral student that I'm supervising now. And I said to her, oh, by the way, what does your husband do? And very apologetically... She told me that he was an electrician. Oh, right. Like, mm. like you know, this is something and, to be devalued or something. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And over the years, we've really more and more devalued those craftspeople right. and, who we can't live without, the auto mechanic and the plumber and the electrician right. and the carpenter. You know, hey, my my plumber comes to the house before he even looks at anything. It's $125. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and the thing, yeah, I mean, and even less, well, I don't know if it's less or more than money, but I, I don't know when the that cultural delineation came into to a certain type of work. Because when I started doing woodworking and furniture making, you know, I quickly realized the truly artistic side of these things. You know, mm -hmm. you need to see it, you need to draft it. You need to know the tools. You need to have a million tricks over a course of years to make it actually, you know, look like you see it in your head. And a musician goes through the same exact thing where like, just because you hear a song in your head does not mean you know how to play it. <laughs> or how to execute it. And it takes, you know, years and years of discipline and practice to know how to do that. And I see a plumber come in and redo a, let's say, even a ventilation system that has some weird cuts and moves in it and gets, you know, um, 
gridded up to the wall in a certain way. I look at it and if it's well done, I see it as art. That's right. I mean, and you, I'm sure that your dining room table was one of your greatest accomplishments aside from your children. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, well, but that's classic to the point where it was like, yeah, it was a serious accomplishment then, but now I look at it and I see about eight errors I know not to make. Right. For the next one, because it was my first table, you know. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think we we have, there's a couple of things that we've really devalued in our society, and that is um, hand craftsmanship. Yeah. Right. And the other is really broad-based learning or knowledge. You mm. know, anybody could be a good accountant. But who do you go to? I mean, I I often have told my students, I my accountant is great, but why do I go there? I'm sure he and a hundred others could do the same job for me. But he's a nice guy. <laughs> and we have a conversation and right. we talk about interesting things. And we don't only talk about how much money I owe. <laughs> right, right. There's still you know, a human and- there. Yeah. Right. And those values, you know, wouldn't, and maybe I'm foolish, Betty, but I'd rather go to a cleaner's that's a little bit more money because she knows my name and she knows how I like my clothes rather than going to the discount place next door. That's why you go to the subway on Tuesday night, right? Because they call you the professor. <laughs> that's right. That's Okay, you revealed uh, my deepest. I revealed secret. it. I revealed it. <laughs> um, it was funny you say that though, because I I was just recently watching something in a film where you know it was it was a, a you know a period film from from like the forties or fifties, and someone was in a house, and they were a guest of the house, and after a couple drinks, they started singing and playing piano, and I'm like, you know, how much of uh, like you said, this lack of like broadband education where maybe people are so singularly focused, like partially is because, you know, when you went to a party in the 1940s, to be an impressive, well-rounded person was to be able to walk in there, hold a conversation, and potentially also have this other skill that could entertain a room because you weren't watching TV, you weren't listening you know, to, uh, to your Spotify, you weren't like somebody there had to entertain you. So there was maybe more of a value in people having this broader set of skills that maybe they don't even like need anymore. Well, the other piece is that, you know, the difference between being alone and creative versus being lonely you know, and mm. it has a different set of values to it. I mean, one of the things you, you can see, for example, Benny, in your nieces, the girls don't watch TV. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't use their computers that much, mm-hmm. but they write plays. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they write songs, and the fairy pederies are still in full operation. Sure are. Zeke's still trying to get in. 
<laughs> hopefully, hopefully, without becoming transgendered, they'll let him in. <laughs> I think, who knows? I don't know. I'm not sure what the rules are. Fairy Pideri, the the rules to get into the group get stricter and stricter as right. the years go on. Right. Yeah, it's true though. So, all right. So you, you know, we're trying to look into 2021 with some optimism, right. with some ways to shape it. What are some, um, you know, tools like actual physical tools or philosophies that you'll be like taking going into the new year? Something you try to take with you or remind yourself daily to to keep a good perspective. You know, I, I was thinking, I was thinking a little bit about that, and I mean, I'll preface it with saying sometimes I wish I was a psychic rather than a psychologist, so I could predict, you know, some of the things that are going to go on. Sure. But I I have such mixed feelings. There's an optimistic core that some of the lessons we all learned are going to be carried through. Mm -hmm. And yet, when you see how people, you know, you take a look at some of the crises like hurricanes and and so on, and people working side by side, irrespective of race, creed, and or national origin, yeah. and they're really sharing. And then once the crisis is over, you know, as, as Dorothy Parker said, they return to tripe, you know, <laughs> they go back to, they go go back to some of their original patterns of behavior. Yeah. But one can only hope, and, you know, I don't want to get too political, but one could only hope with a different kind of role model of leading the population and the person may not be the most dynamic and the most charismatic, but you get the feeling of kindness and caring and perhaps that will be able to quell some of the anger and some of the discrimination and anti-ism that has been so prevalent in these past four years. Sure, sure. So that, that for me, um, the what, once he gets inaugurated and some of the choices he's made for his cabinet gives me a moment of optimism. I mean, that's... Um you know, getting into like the things that we, you know, sort of, we have no control over, right? Like, like these are our hopes. These are the things we can hope happens, but we really don't have any control. What's something like you wake up in the morning, what's something you go to, to kind of, even though all these things are happening, something you use to just still get through the day with a smile on your face and remain personally optimistic or hopeful? I tell myself a joke. Yeah? And then I laugh. <laughs> every morning? Almost every morning. I'm, yeah, I make them up and some yeah. of them are, are not very Some bright. singer is better than others? Yeah, <laughs> yeah some are better than others. Um, you know, also uh, listening, there are certain people who, there are certain programs and certain people who kind of make you laugh. And I think Mm -hmm. laughter is very important. Mm. And also, you know, thinking about each day, maybe reaching out to somebody who you haven't spoken to in a while. I mean, I've just rediscovered 
some old friends in the past couple of months. And it's like, you know, people are seeking these kinds of contacts. And then some of the relationships, um, because, you know, there isn't that in-person communication, have reached another level of depth in sharing. Mm. You know, you, it's funny, Benny, you know, it used to be you meet with friends, you say, did you eat at a good restaurant? What did you have to eat? <laughs> yeah, right. Did you see such and such a play? And what did you think of it? And the conversations have shifted to a somewhat different level. Yeah. You know, like, what do you say when you, when you talk to somebody? So how do you feel? You feel okay? But so the conversation gets somewhat more, with certain people anyway, a little bit more personal, a little bit more philosophical, learning more about people I've known for years because of those conversations. That's awesome. That's interesting. To, yeah, I like that. I think, I think it's positive. I'm also seeing it from a more professional side. And um, for some people, and I've been talking to, you know, colleagues as well, um, some people working with their therapists or mental health providers not being in the same room, uh, it has been a positive experience. Ah, oh, huh. Um, one, one case that I've been supervising for, I say three or four years with different therapists in this past year, I think this man has made more gains, not sharing a space with his therapist, but they, they zoom, he sits in his car and they zoom, but he's in his own space and, um, he's, much more reflective and open. So it's had some very, very interesting consequences. What's going to be the outcome and how people are going to transition back to having the in-person connections will be very interesting to observe. Yeah. And you said at the beginning of that, there's a couple people that you, uh, that you kind of lean to that make you laugh give you that perspective is there any like books or films or podcasts or something that that you would recommend well my <laughs> i love i don't know if it's it's universal but on on public radio wait wait don't tell me <laughs> okay <laughs> with peter sagel which is is wonderful and uh you know that's uh kind of uh a punny, funny, news-relevant program, which is really good. Um, you know, it's it's just, Benny, I think it's random. Just whatever gets you that day? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, all right. Now, just to end it on a fun note, and we've been asking a couple people this. We talked about it before. We're talking about the most memorable New Year's Eve experience that you've had. I I have two. Okay. Is it okay if I share two? Please, yeah, please, please. Okay. The the first one um, took place. We were in Cuba, mm-hmm. and we um, it was New Year's Eve. We this were is in, you you in, and Uncle Shell. Yeah, okay. we were on. It was at the time you couldn't go on your own. You went on a tour, 
and we went with Inside Cuba. And um, the celebration was in Cathedral Square in Havana mm-hmm. with long tables and wow. lots of mojitos and great music. And in the middle of the dinner, there was a huge cloudburst. And about a thousand people, all well dressed, we all crawled under the tables <gasps> while the rain came down. And then <laughs> the rain stopped. Everybody got up, dried off their seats, got more mojitas, and went yeah. on with the celebration. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and nice. that that was amazing. The other one, Uncle Shell and I were in Maui in Hana, in Heavenly Hana uh-huh. for New Year's Eve, which is like at the tip of Maui and nowhere. And we discovered that there was this, quote, hotel that was having a New Year's Eve celebration. So we made reservations and it started like at seven o'clock and it was typically Hawaiian food, some of which is good, some of which isn't. (laughs) And we were serenaded by a ukulele band, which was composed of the bus driver (laughs) and the dishwasher (laughs) and the waitress. At 10 o'clock, they rang bells and said, okay, everybody go home. New Year's <laughs> Eve is over. <laughs> so New Year's Eve ended at 10 o'clock so everybody could go home and celebrate. Oh, my God. So those those were two very special New Year's for us. Those are good ones. I got – what was – what was Uncle Shell doing at parties in the 60s, 70s? Was he a ripper? Was he really, could no. you put him back or was, no? <laughs> Not so much. Betty, that's, that's funny. <laughs> that's going to make me laugh tomorrow morning. Well, we'll do a podcast with Uncle Shell next. We'll just make sure to leave a lot of time and have him put the volume way up. Right. And, and he moves slowly. He once once I could get him someplace, he's great. Yeah. Until we get there, it's <laughs> a whole other story. Oh, I love it. Uh, hey, Brad, what do you got? <laughs> I'm just I'm just enjoying the ride here. This is great. Fun. <laughs> okay. This is me and my aunt. We could talk all day. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm so glad I got to interview my aunt Judy on a podcast. This yeah. is fucking awesome. Yeah. That, that I find it awesome. Also, this is my highlight of the week. Oh, uh, okay. good. Yeah. Life has come around in some strange ways, huh? Right. It's nice to meet you, Brad. Maybe someday I'll see you. Oh, I hope so. I do hope so. <laughs> anyway, guys, take care of yourselves. Thank you for the All treat. Right. This was fun. Thanks so much. Uh, fun for us too. I love you, auntie. Take care. Love you too, Benny. Oh, good night, Aunt Judy. Good night, Aunt Judy. <laughs> I love it. I, I gave up her secret that I have to tell <laughs> the story because it's funny. Yeah, it's funny to me because, you know, she, she's been away from the city for a while. And I knew last night was the first time she was coming into the city for a while. And I know the way I am, like when I'm on tour or something and I get back home, I'm like, all right, I got to get a slice. I got to right. get this. I got to get my thing. So I'm... So I ask her with with great cert- certainty that she has something in mind. 
So I asked the question. I'm like, all right, you're in New York. You don't have Uncle Shell with you for one night. What do you do? Like, what's your go? I'm thinking like, oh, this diner on 92nd and this or like, you know, something super New York. Right. And she tells me she's going to get a foot long tuna sub from Subway and go to Pinkberry. Okay. You know, and, and uh, I'll, I'll spare you all the details of why <laughs> she wants to do that. But I was just shocked out of all the answers I thought I was going to get for a woman who's lived that long in New York City. I was I was shocked. Everybody has a dark side, Benny. I know. I know. <laughs> what would yours be? Say you were you were gone randomly for like a couple months and went back to the city for like one night. Uh, wow. I mean, it would probably be like a slice, you know? I still firmly stand behind the New York City slice as, oh, yeah. um, but, and there's not really anything, like, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I can't take my family to that I could indulge mm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, because they like, they've got pretty broad palates, I guess. All That's right. a good question. I'll have to think so What's your it. slice spot? Um, I'm recently, I'm a big fan of Williamsburg pizza. Okay. We've got, I know it's called Williamsburg pizza, but we have one over here on, um, I think it's actually on Grand Street on my street further West. Nice. Um, I like that, but you know, I also am a big advocate for any, any, the closest place, you know what I mean? New York, (laughs) like it's hard to go wrong. Yeah. Um, still, which is nice. Yeah. Sure is. I've been noticing a lot of square pies out there, but oh, really? Yeah, we won't get into that debate right now. That could go for hours. <laughs> I hope people walked away from this episode here. I hope. I really hope that my intent for this episode came through, and that anybody who just listened to all of these came away with a couple insights or new tools in their toolbox to hit 2021 in a positive and optimistic way. Cause you know, even my aunt said it, you know, we quickly got into like, Oh, if this happens with the politics and if this happens and there's like, you know, if there's one thing I've learned about this past year is like, if you're, you know, if you're not out in the fucking streets and you're not doing something and you're not taking this direct action, like you gotta, gotta find a way to like, live your life and still contribute positively to the world. If you can, if the situation lends itself to that, but you know, you can't do that if you're just too consumed and you know, your own darkness or vulnerability, which is is easy to, you know, that's, it's easy to fall into that. So super easy of any of us. I'm sure everybody, most people have seen soul at this point, (laughs) you know, you just can't operate when you got all that black gunk on your soul, you know, <laughs> just can't do it. No. So that was my intent with this episode. I hope we were able to provide some insight with some smart, philosophically sound people, you know? Yeah, I think so. Um, I enjoyed it. I did too. Regardless, it was a uh, fun to catch up with all these people. Um, Roger Harvey is the only one with socials that we interviewed. He's, XL Roger Harvey at Twitter and Instagram. Everyone should check him out. Check out his music. Check and out his music, his music for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my aunt and Neil, 
You know, you can find them in the ether, go to college, (laughs) you know, get an education. Maybe you'll meet them. Um, And then, uh, yeah, we have some stuff, right? We have socials. We have our Patreon. We are going off track where you find your social media and patreon.com slash going off track will get you um, a little more access to some of our hidden secrets. If you're willing to pony up monthly to become a patron, join the team. Mm -hmm. If mm-hmm. not, just go leave us some uh, nice iTunes reviews. Those are free. Or if you want to throw us a little tip, there's always Venmo. Venmo.com at Off Track. Um, we'll take some shekels. And thank yeah, you know. to everybody we've, who's thrown us a few yeah. few bones over the holidays. We appreciate it. And um, it'll go to good use. That's right. And I believe... You set up a uh, a chat room for us to have a bit of a yeah. I just got to commit to a time powwow with with the patrons, patrons where we can the patrons will have direct access to us at some point. Yeah. very very soon. So we can have a chat, talk about some stuff. Yeah, uh, funny thing happened today. You'll you'll appreciate this. Random guy emails me from Australia saying he's a big fan, and can I buy a pair of your signature sticks? Mm. You want to know what the joke about that is? You don't have them. No one ever fucking gave me signature sticks. No way. That can't be true. <laughs> it's true. I, I I had a Promark endorsement. I still do have a Promark endorsement. But years ago, at the the height of my powers, I asked about this signature stick. <laughs> and it was like a pay-to-play thing. I was like, sure, you can have what? one. Just, uh, you know submit the autograph and then you basically get your normal like rate or something on them. Really? And I'm like, how corny is that? Oh, like, God. I'm like, I can't pay for my own signature sticks and design. Like that's the corniest thing ever. Yes. So I is. never had one. I'm glad know? to hear that you didn't take it up. So just like, uh, my Wikipedia never had a Wikipedia, never had a signature stick. Well, you got a Sharpie, don't you? Listen, 2021, (laughs) it's about old man Benny Horowitz getting better at promotion. No, no, it's not. That's what people want me to do, but I don't think I'm going to. I think I'm going to continue on my journey of self-reflection and trying to provide interesting and artistic content to people who want to listen to it. That's a beautiful thing, Benny. If I continue on that journey everything will work out fine you know yes brad we didn't we didn't sign up for this life to get the gold watch right no definitely not (laughs) (laughs) anyway happy new year to everybody (laughs) i love you love you too benny thanks buddy well thanks everyone for listening to the uh 2021 episode and hope you got something out of it We'll be back to old white guys talking about guitars soon enough. (laughs) 